Hello and welcome to The Found Cause. We have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. You know, I realize, Sebastian, that uh, we're always trying to keep up with the mics. I think I always turn to you to speak into the mic, and then I'm soft, and then I'm loud again, and then you're loud all the time. Um, so I'll try to keep the discipline here. Today's episode, as you can see, we're in the tiny little corner, is a, another reaction video. This time, it's to a Coptic man because we wanted to sprinkle a little, little differences in there. We've got a lot of responses from some of our Eastern Orthodox viewers and some of our Catholic viewers in the most recent episodes about them. So we thought we would uh, spread the love and talk about one of the other um, quote-unquote apostolic faiths. You can see if you're watching on video up in the top right corner of our channel we're reacting to. Gabriel Wissa is the owner of the channel. Um, the aim of the channel is yeah Coptic Orthodox answers it's owned yeah, by it's right I don't know if it's owned but it is there are several priests fathers and they're like Father Gabriel and again so-called Coptic Orthodox answers are from the apostolic faith which is a claim um, often made so we'll see if it holds up he's going to tell us the main difference between Protestantism and Orthodoxy um, he's coming from the Coptic Orthodox, which is not to be confused with the Eastern Orthodox, although, Sebastian, you were just telling me before we started this podcast, they're pretty ecumenical these days with each other, um, Catholics, uh, Roman Catholics, that is, and Coptics, and Eastern Orthodox, they're all kind of like, yeah, I mean, we are separate churches, but we believe pretty much the same things, and screw Protestants, <laughs> generally, I mean, I'm summarizing, is that true? That is very correct, yes, I would say they get mostly, they get better along with Eastern Orthodox, the Coptics, than they do with the Catholics. They have realized over the centuries, it's like, oh, we're not that that different after all. Yes, they do have their distinctions, but they're fairly ecumenical with one another. Most, mostly, yeah. Which tells you, and I don't even have to get into the video to say this, I'm just gonna preface it all with art, because because it's not often talked about by Coptic Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholics because it is their weak point, I just wanna point it out. The main reason that Protestants separate from these groups is because of their denial of faith, salvation by faith alone. And so they believe that you are saved, um, are you justified before God in your progressive sanctification? And if you don't get progressively sanctified to a certain point, you will not make it to heaven. And Protestants believe that you are justified by God alone, monergistically, meaning that God has all the energy. He's the one that saves you. Now, there are some Protestants that believe that the initial process of being chosen involves your choosing and whatever else i mean that's arminianism we can talk about that later it still counts as protestantism and there's still christians in that camp um, we don't deny that they um, have the gospel even if they misunderstand that initial choosing um, but this this synergistic vision that both man and god are the ones that keep you saved until the very end um, is just not biblical we've talked about it in other sources before if you want to see our responses you can look at the comments of some of our catholic videos a lot of in-depth discussion there it's also on many of our videos regarding Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. So equally with Coptic Orthodoxy, they also have the exact same denial of salvation by faith alone, the exact same mixed work um, of keeping your sanctification. Don't just take my word for it, though. Sebastian's epithet is not just for show. He is the man behind the book. He's got a ton of sources behind this. So um, a lot of our commenters will say, you should read deeply. You should watch these people. Granted, um, now I only have so much time in the day. Sebastian um, is a little more dedicated than I, so he's got some real sources that he's sourced from and can point you to as well. Yes. So before we even start with the video, I enjoy reading about orthodoxy. Am I convinced that they are the truth? I don't think so. But nonetheless, you can still get a lot out of their history, out of their sources. You can think deeply about your own position. I think it's a good exercise. So with that in mind, 
one author I recommend for anyone that wants to get an introduction for Eastern Orthodoxy, and I say Eastern Orthodox because the Coptic Orthodox and the Eastern Orthodox, they share a lot of their theology, different terms, some in Arabic, some in Greek, like theosis, where we're talking about how your sanctification during your life, theosis, mm -hmm. your walk with God is how you are justified. You know, it's a mixture of, um, that's how I understand it, a mixture of your justification and your sanctification in Protestant terms. Mm -hmm. A good author to read, Timothy Ware. I hope you can see the Orthodox Church, an introduction. Timothy Ware, an Anglican priest, was went to seminary as an Anglican, became an Orthodox later in life and died recently. So and this, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was this year, if not in December of last year. Good introduction. He writes very well. I recommend it for anyone interested in getting into Orthodox sources and their theology and history for something a little bit heftier. I read this while COVID times. I had a lot of time then, and I'm pretty sure I was. I'm pretty sure I was sick when I was reading it. So I had. De I definitely had a lot of time and patience to read through the mystical theology of the Eastern Church by Vladimir Losky. Very good source. I would say very advanced based on his writing. Uh, Russian expat exiled during the Russian uh, civil civil war during the communist revolution. Wrote, wrote very well. If you want some deep take from one of the most influential Orthodox writers in the modern era, Vladimir Losky is definitely a good source. Finally, The Solutioned is a good and easy accessible book to read by Joshua Shuping. He was, an ortho was going attending an Orthodox seminary and ended up leaving the Orthodox Church and becoming a Protestant. He Actually, he did become a priest. He was ordained as an Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox priest. So this is a good perspective on what he learned as an Orthodox and then what drove him out of Orthodoxy and into Protestantism. So you have all three takes. Someone going into Orthodoxy, someone that grew within Orthodoxy and became very... Um, not talented, but educated, well-read, renowned, renowned, and then a convert outside of orthodoxy. So there you go. So we've I, like some my research. Books. I like my books, um, especially Sebastian. Uh, let's get started with the Coptic Orthodox Answers video, and we will not start in five minutes. I just want to show his lovely face instead of this black screen. Here we go. What is the main difference oh. between... Protestant and Orthodox theology? Here we go. What is the main difference between Protestant and Orthodox theologies? In comparing both traditions, one can easily find numerous differences. However, these could be summed up into a handful of concepts. Today's video focuses on potentially the most important distinction between both traditions. And again, you already heard what we had to say. The most important distinction to Protestant is the gospel difference. We believe they have a false gospel. Their gospel is faith and works. And we would say that mixing those two for salvation purposes is anathema, as St. Paul says in Galatians. Now, I actually I had a discussion that makes me wonder about the semantics of this debate in one of our comments section, where one of the Eastern Orthodox guys was saying um, that 
when when I say sanctification versus justification, those are kind of arbitrary categories mm. because um, there are scriptures that talk about justification in the way that I would define sanctification, i.e. the progressive growing in faith. And all right, like whatever semantics, whatever words you use, um, what I mean by justification is the final standing you have, whether you are in God's good graces or in his bad graces when it comes to the end. That is justification to me, whatever that concept, whatever you're going to call that concept. We would call it justification, but if you don't want to call it justification, your final judgment, um, that is the difference we have between our gospel and, and the Orthodox Roman Catholic and Coptic Orthodox gospels is they believe that your final judgment is a mix between your works and Christ's work on the cross. And we would say it is only Christ's work on the cross that eventually, that finally saves you while you are also sanctified, saved, justified, you know, whatever words you want to use for this, you you grow in your faith as a person by doing good works and showing fruit, as the gospels say, and you're judged by your works in this way. Um, but ultimately, your final judgment is only because of Christ, not because of your works. But you did not contribute in any, this is, again, we're laying out in this engagement between a Protestant and a Orthodox man, that you add nothing to the finished work of Christ, and that is ultimately what takes you out of hell, the complete finished work of Jesus Christ, by your faith being being affected on you through your faith on him. And that doesn't mean you sit on your butt and do nothing right. all day, because otherwise, what we would argue James speaks uh, on, you are not a real Christian if you're just sitting in your butt and you have never done anything after you say you are saved with your right. words, but you're not living it out. So again, it's a straw man thrown against Protestants like, oh yes, you believe in your ticket punched. There are some groups that say that, but they're not really in any shape or form traditional Protestants like Luther, Calvin, or Swingley. Right. Yeah, we'll let him keep going. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Answers from an Apostolic mm -hmm. Faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. From a Protestant perspective, salvation is directly related to forgiveness of sins. This forgiveness transpired on the cross when Christ ransomed humanity. God the Father's literal anger was poured on the Son rather than on us. This view of salvation is usually seen from a purely judicial perspective, and therefore Protestant Christians are taught to believe in this act of forgiveness, the cross, and as a result, they will find salvation. I said it's yeah, pretty accurate, good. yeah. <laughs> Judicial, mm -hmm. um, that, that God's wrath is poured out on Jesus rather than us, his elect. Um, I think one thing he's missing there, but honestly it's because of our particular sect of Protestantism, is that we believe that it's not just the belief in the fact that Jesus paid your sins that saves you. It's really that God, God is the one who applies this payment to you regardless of what you believe. Uh, and those he applies this payment to end up believing in him. So that's what we would consider what the Bible talks about God's elect, that God's elect are the ones that he saves and that Jesus is saving his sheep. These are the ones that he decides to pour his blood out on and those who he decides to forgive know it, experience this regeneration in life and are forgiven and come to Christ and, and then hear his voice and do his works and all the rest. Um, so it's not, it's not the belief that actually ends up saving you. It's it's God's application of that. It's just belief comes along with that. And so you are saved if you believe, because if you believe you are saved, it's that's the reasoning there. And for scripture, I would point to Hebrews near the end. I forget the chapter now, but it's Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Mm -hmm. So he is the one who really rescues you from death onto life com completely. This is our main, main point we're emphasizing here. Right, but I appreciate his description. 
Some Protestant traditions will claim that this is all that is to be done to be saved. Others will say that although Christians are saved by grace, some works would naturally flow from that grace as evidence of salvation. However, so we also agree with that, and we just described it, right? Mm -hmm. You have faith. It, it all all you need for salvation is God's payment, and that's why I think the language here of saying like all you need to do is believe is is not quite true because yes, God can save you regardless of what works you've done. And so we believe like the thief on the cross is saved next to Christ. Christ says he's going to be with him today in paradise because it was God's God's works that that saved that man. And so he ends up believing, but he doesn't he doesn't get baptized. He doesn't do any of the works that you might associate with living out your faith. Um, so we agree, yes, that that it's just God's application. That's all that's needed. Um, but you will always see fruits. If you live long enough, you will always see fruits. And if you don't see fruits, there's something wrong. Now, the fruits might be small and the person might be squandering them, as it says in the parable about people who build with um precious stones and gold or people who build with stubble upon the foundation both mm -hmm. are building on the foundation so they're saved but um, they're not building with good works anyways regardless i think he described it again correctly mm -hmm. from the first centuries of christendom christians around the entire world viewed salvation a bit differently the first century church would agree that christ died on our behalf as a ransom for the forgiveness of our sins however not because god the father was literally angry we view God's anger and wrath in a very different way as explained in previous videos which links will be in the description box. Also Orthodox Christians from the first centuries would agree that we are saved by grace but without denying that we have a role to play in our own salvation. We act in synergy with God. Mm -hmm. This is a very well put, very succinct, and this is exactly where our differences lie. So I appreciate that he's very tr clear and forthcoming with it. Yeah, and I'll say it's not just that we believe different things and, and that's it. I guess you pick, pick one side to believe. We always reference the Bible, and you always should too. I'm sure he will as well. We have to look to what Scripture says, because although church fathers can get things wrong, we don't hold our faith to the church fathers. Church fathers can indicate what the church has believed, and tradition and church and the church's tradition can be an indicator of what is true, but it's not the judge of what is true. So we say we always go to the Bible first, and one of the very first places I would go in this debate, and whether or not we're saved by grace and works, or by grace through faith in, in Christ alone, I would go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, where it talks on this exact subject. Paul says, for you have been saved through faith by grace. Um, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one may boast. And the whole of Ephesians talks about God's electing of his people. He, he planned out who was going to be his. In the very first chapter of Ephesians says this. And he prepared the good works that his people would do. So you can see his people have good works. Works are involved in being a Christian, but they're not actually what saves you. As again, Paul lays out in Ephesians 2, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So again, the salvation is from God, not from men. Mm -hmm. And perhaps to emphasize this point so that it is crystal clear, we would argue that pretending that every human, every saved Christian in the planet was like the thief on the cross, Regardless, if they if they did not have the opportunity or time frame to do any live out their faith, they would still be in heaven because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is so perfect that you would be able to take them out of the world and into his kingdom without the need of living out the faith. Right now, we're not all the thief in the cross, as you may have noticed. We're not all crucified as we stand. Mm -hmm. So we are called to live out our faith, but that is not um, 
that's, that doesn't lead to our final salvation. The final salvation has already been taken care of, is what we're trying to say. And did you have scripture? Uh, yes, uh, I do. I want to mention from Romans 4 that Paul quotes to emphasize this, to show, again, the finished work of Jesus Christ. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from work. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So, this is emphasizing that your God justifies the ungodly and credits their faith as righteousness, as he says previously in the chapter. We believe in the non-imputation of sin, that the moment that Christ pours out his salvific work on you, God will never impute on you sin because it has all been taken upon Christ. Now, this may look differently with the Eastern Orthodox and with the Catholics, but in I would, from my understanding, Orthodox will also say, like the Catholics, that you can commit a, not a mortal sin, you can commit a sin, grievous sin, we're going to use that, and be now, a, you, you are fallen from your salvation and could end up in hell if you die before confessing, before consuming the sacraments, taking part in the sacraments, excuse me, or, or um, seeking forgiveness, <coughs> seeking forgiveness, we're going to bless you. So, um, we would disagree with that understanding simply because we hold two scriptures saying that once you're saved by Christ, God will not impute, will not charge against you any more sin because Christ has completely taken that away from you. Mm-hmm. And just lastly, just because you mentioned it, I think it's a different point that we're making here, but he says he has a different view of God's anger, God's wrath being poured on a Christ. Um, just to say some Protestants believe that like the father turned away from Christ and that Christ was like separated from God. I don't believe so. Um, I would call that a breach of the Trinity. I know that some of our Eastern Orthodox viewers and others think that our view of God having wrath on the son is also a breach of the Trinity. We would disagree with this. Um, we would look to scripture that says that he became a curse for us. He took on the sin for us. We don't believe that this broke the Trinity. It was the Trinity's plan all along to do this. Um, the father clearly planned it. Christ has the passions at Gethsemane asking if he really needs to do this. And yes, he does. And so the father and mm-hmm. Christ and the Holy Spirit all work together in this act of Christ bearing the sins of the world. So God pours out his due wrath on sin that Jesus is taking on behalf of his elect. It, there's no breach in the Trinity there. It's just God taking on um, a payment mm-hmm. for his creation. So the, Jesus wasn't separated from God in that moment. He was just bearing the just punishment for sin, which was death. And so he died, um, as all would agree. And Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant, none of us believe that it's a breach in the Trinity for Christ to have descended into Sheol, into the grave. So that's that's the punishment for sin was that exact thing was being sent to Sheol. Uh, we'll let him continue. Uh-huh. Yes. But the crucial difference between the two traditions is that Orthodox Christians understood that this judicial aspect is only one facet of salvation. An additional crucial facet of salvation for Orthodox Christians or all Apostolic Christians for that matter is humanity's recreation or the healing of the human condition. St. Athanasius of Alexandria, who fought the Arian heresy in the 4th century at the Council of Nicaea, says the following, For the first fact that you must grasp is this, the renewal of creation, that has been wrought by the self-same word, the Logos, or Son of God, who made it in the beginning. There is thus no inconsistency between creation and salvation. 
This is taken from St. Athanasius' famous book on the Incarnation. It's a good book. Which C.S. Lewis read several times and praised its wisdom. It is in the slight of you. We all claim Athanasius is a church father, by the way, not uh -huh. just Coptics, also Catholics and Protestants and whoever else is a Christian. Yes. Uh, as C.S. Lewis made a very nice comment on that book that he's right. referring to. A very good book. I recommend it. Yeah. Human recreation that Orthodox Christians have practiced the mysteries from the beginning of Christendom. The purpose of the mysteries or sacraments is to continually give us access to this recreation, which leads to sainthood when practiced piously. And this is where another differentiator comes, uh, and I agree. So he's bringing it up as a differentiator. Mm -hmm. We do not believe that you need the sacraments to have access to the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, period. The sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit works through things that you do, yes. So like when you pray, when you fall on your face, when you go to church, when you worship, when you confess sins to others, like God works through physical actions, yes. But one, he does not need to. And so it's you're not getting access to God through the sacraments or through church attendance. Um, he may choose to use this as a way to correct you or edify you and build you up. We all agree. And, and equally, just in a side note, I don't know if you've ever heard this, Sebastian, but I've never heard of Protestants denying that part of faith comes. I mean, except for the the fringe anti-lordship people who we have also done yes on. we also chastise we all believe that when you come to be a christian not only is the justice that was due to you put on christ but also the the lordship of god is now over you and so you are obliged to obey christ and to grow and to be recreated to be regenerated i mean the, the doctrine in protestant circles is called regeneration but whatever recreation regeneration same thing the the uh, renewal renewal of your heart of stone into a heart of flesh as was promised in ezekiel so that's total agreement there we're, we're not in disagreement here for instance the early century christians saw leprosy in the old testament as a type of sin that is healed through water for example naaman the syrian army commander was healed from his leprosy when elisha told him to dip in the jordan seven times his skin representing his humanity was then renewed in Leviticus, this is some origin stuff. I don't think it's exclusively origin, but I think that they're trying to make an analogy to yeah, how we are likewise are cleansed in, in Jessica's yeah. name. It was. I mean, in case you're unfamiliar, there's an old church father, especially popular in the East. Uh, so that's why I was asking because it's Coptic and origin would have had much more influence there who kind of dubious on whether or not he was a real Christian, but uh, he, he used a lot of analogies and he basically took the whole of the Old Testament mm -hmm. and was didn't really care if it actually happened, but he used everything in the Old Testament as an analogy towards the New Covenant, the New Testament. So um, kind of weird. I mean, yes, you can use Naaman's healing as an analogy for our sin, but this the point of the name and healing wasn't about sin per se it's about the name and being healed and that he's a foreigner and the proof of god's prophets being true and all the rest and obedience to god anyways there's there's a lot to take out of the name and story in that it also really happened the, the point of it isn't sin i mean you can use it as an analogy but i think that's kind of odd Mm -hmm. And Jesus uses this point right with the Syrophoenician woman i'm pretty yeah. sure Naaman the yes. syrian mm -hmm. to show that foreigners were healed and not the Israel. There were so many in Israel yeah. that had leprosy, but none of them were healed except these foreigners, who some, he probably, probably knew God, since he is asking for a pro, pro, 
maybe correct me on this, but it's asking for help. And the Syrophoenician woman recognizes Elijah the prophet for who he is as a prophet, but she's not a Jew. So yeah. I would and, say the, the stories have a different point. And Jesus does it in context of physically healing people. Of course, Jesus came to forgive sins, but he also physically healed people. And he's in Nazareth mm-hmm. when he mentions this. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that, like a prophet is not recognized in his own hometown. I would be healing you physically, healing you, uh, but you don't believe, of course. And just to, to up the ante, you know, I didn't just come for Israelites. Remember back in the Old Testament when uh, Elijah uh, took took the house of um, the Syrophoenician woman uh, instead of an Israelite, even though there's many Israelite widows. And then the same with many in Israel had leprosy, but this Syrian um, came and got healed instead of the Israelites. And so like... Jesus is saying he's he's pre 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 prefacing he's uh, foreshadowing that he's going to go to the Gentiles and of course, uh-huh. Nazareth don't like that. Yes. Last thing I'll say because it might be useful too. This is a point that's not often talked in Protestant circles and probably should. So there's some constructive criticism here. Mm-hmm. The glorification of our bodies. So this all creation groans seeking to be reconciled to God. Yes, we have uh, hints and shadows of that. But we know that God is going to come back and establish his kingdom and will give us new bodies. And what what that looks like, we don't even want to really get into dangerous territory to speculate like the Mormons, uh, <laughs> like yes. the Mormons do. So we're not going to do that. But rather, we will know that he will sustain us for eternity and we will be in his presence rejoicing. We will not be with sin. So we will co- we will I mean, coexist in his uh, with his divine presence for eternity in perfect love in harmony with the trinity we will not become gods like him of course that's not, that's not what i mean but we will see him for who he is and we will love him and he will love us it'll be great so we talked about sparta sense we differentiate justification mm-hmm. sanctification yep. and also for sure glorification doesn't get talked as much as it should so that's why i bring it up so just so we're, we're all clear here and we're contrasting it with his take on the initial justi- the final justification being mixed in with the your sanctification. Yeah. As he's talking so, about. And so just in summary, we agree with him in that Protestants focus on the judicial aspect of the gospel and that uh, Coptics don't. Agreed. He says that Protestants don't believe in the, this second part of sanctification. Well, that's not true. Every Protestant that I know, um, again, except for the the fringe, small, noticeably heretical group that believes that you could just say the words and be saved. um, Protestants believe that after you are saved, you go and do good works. I mean, that's all over the gospel. So if that's the only difference between us, um, it seems like you guys are in the wrong because you're denying the judicial aspect in favor of the sanctification. But we accept both. We're not denying sanctification. Mm -hmm. Because 14, we saw also the use of running water and blood as a part of a ritual of the cleansing of the healed leper. Those were types of the water of baptism and the blood of Christ, respectively. That is why in Romans 6, St. Paul mentions that our old man is crucified in baptism. That the I like the quote that he pulled here because it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We did not save us ourselves through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the spirit. Again, that word regeneration is where Protestants would, that, that's why we use the word regeneration instead of recreation or renewing. Um, another one used here instead of recreation. Kind of seems weird to use a non-biblical word there, but whatever. Um, and again, he saved us his mercy through his, not by works of our righteousness that we have done. 
and again the renewing of the holy spirit so we are in agreement with this text he seems to be pointing this and saying it's all about baptism because it says washing of generation which we agree um but the washing is also of just straight up the holy spirit just like when we eat and drink of christ it's of eating and drinking of him spiritually not just the communion elements Mm-hmm. And we have talked about this with our Lutheran friends, how they also emphasize that we are saved through the waters, in different, mm-hmm. sen- in different sense, through the waters of baptism. But please, Paul also talks about that even women will be saved through childbearing. childbearing. <laughs> yes. So we have to understand, is it really talking about the same salvation that originally took us away from death onto life? Or is it talking about something else is right. what we contend? Yeah. Body of sin might be done away with. When the body of sin is done away with through baptism, which is the participation in the cross of Christ, our human condition is renewed. Similarly, Galatians... Uh, I didn't even say the body of sin is done away with because that's also not biblical language. You could, I mean, there's plenty of justifications on like why baptism is what it is, but they're not from the Bible. That's like the leaving the dead body behind. None of that is in scripture. It's all extra. And when Paul writes, St. Paul writes about him fighting his flesh and that he does not what he wants you know he does what he hates Mm -hmm. i would say the body of sin is not done away with the spirit is regenerated so your your spirit has died and and been born again you were born again of the spirit when you were baptized so that's what changes your body is not changed your spirit is and so now you have this heart of flesh instead of heart of stone again that's prophesied in ezekiel when you die your spirit doesn't change your spirit is as it is and it descends to heaven or you know gets regenerated whatever process whatever god does um your spirit doesn't change and we will be getting new bodies in the new earth so i would say that the body of sin is still remains after baptism but your spirit is what has changed so we still fight against the flesh until the day we are separated from it and given new bodies but our body is still sinful and i would say that's also the position that the desert fathers would have from his tradition from the desert in sketes in skitis or however you pronounce it in modern greek in egypt they would have striven to go away from society to mortify the flesh because they recognized their own sinfulness and they sought to get rid of that sin. Mm-hmm. We would hold that for as long as we live, unless God performs a miracle on us, you will be sinful until the day you die. Now, we strive to be less and less and less sin- sinful, not because our salvation is contingent on a... Wait, the problem is you wouldn't be perfect, so I guess you... okay. You that throws, that mean, throws another problem. Everybody <laughs> dies, so that should tell you that everybody's body still has sin because the punishment for sin is death. And if the punishment for sin is laid on Christ, which we all agree, well, then we shouldn't die at all. And we, we, we can say truly that we have eternal life, but it's spiritual life. So our spirits will live forever, um, but our bodies will die. And therefore, our bodies have not been given the second life, not yet. That's why we look forward to resurrection. We, we're not Gnostics. We, we know that humans are meant for the body. So we're not trying to separate us from the body. We are our flesh, and therefore we are sinful, and we are saints. That's the nature of human duality, is that we have flesh and spirit. Yeah, so then what I would, what I would ask is, if our bodies could be perfected now in this life, why is God going to give us perfect bodies right. afterwards? If, our, if we can perfect our bodies or strive towards pretty much reaching that perfection in this life, I don't think we can. I think we're called to, and we do so because we love our Lord Jesus. I just don't think we're going to get there unless God mag- not magically, miraculously per- perfects you. Of course, God can do anything, but we have no instances that we've ever seen of somebody not dying here on earth. So right. clearly he has not chosen to do right. this. Galatians, Galatians 3.27 says, For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have 
put on Christ. The image of Christ within us is recreated in baptism. That is also the reason Titus 3.5 says we are saved through the water of regeneration. We are recreated or regenerated through the water of baptism. John 3.5 also says that we must be born again through water and spirit, through baptism. It is the same idea with the Eucharist. Before he gets into the Eucharist, I would say we agree we are a new creation in Christ. We put on Christ in this life, for this moment, it is a spiritual transformation that we have received from Jesus. Now, we, like quoted from Paul, even a even one of the holiest apostles still struggled with sin, meaning his body hadn't been perfected yet. So we are called to mortify the flesh. We're called to walk in Christ, grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit, walk with the, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. However, we just double down that this is for this life. It's going to be spiritual. We will get perfect um, spirit and bodies in God's kingdom. Yeah. I also just, just to brief on this John text that's up, um, there's debate on whether or not born of water is referring to baptism or if it's referring to your physical birth. Um, I would be one that it's that suggests it's, he's referring to his physical birth and then the spiritual birth. Um, being born of water meaning like exiting the physical birth, your regular first mm. birth, and then the second birth being the spirit um, because the Pharisee Jesus is talking to um, says as much. He says, let me go back up to my mother's womb, like be born of water again. Um, and he says, you must be born of water and the spirit. So I don't think he's really referring to baptism here. Not to say that obviously he'd quote a text that referring to the washing of baptism, um, but I don't think this is one of them. This is talking about second birth, which is baptism is a symbol of your second birth, but I don't think this is talking about the practice of water baptism. And we also hold baptism in very high regard. We do. Hence why we are Baptists, because we believe it is so critical and important that you must be fully aware of what is going on while you're baptized. To call it baptism, yes. Now, does that mean that... Um, those who didn't get to baptism are unsaved. We don't believe that because we don't believe the actual washing in baptism is what saves you um, in a in a God-justifying sense. Again, not to be semantic here, but make sure we're using the same semantic domains. Um, we, we affirm the scriptures that say you're saved via baptism, but we also affirm the scriptures that say that we are saved through faith and grace alone, meaning the baptism is not part necessary of that forgiveness. Yes. A couple of Old Testament types of the Eucharist are the Passover and the manna. The Passover involved the killing of the one-year-old male lamb and the pouring of its blood on the door lintels, the cross. But the type did not stop there. The eating of the lamb was a compulsory portion of the ritual symbolizing the Eucharist. Similarly, the manna... What's odd to me here in the whole Eucharist thing, and this is, I think, all I want to say on it because it can get so heated, um, is that I think plainly, to the, to the outside observer, to us Protestants, the eating of Christ is spiritual. We, we spiritually eat and drink of the Lord. Those who don't spiritually eat and drink of the word, uh, Lord are not saved. And so while the physical eating of the lamb was a type of Christ coming, amen, obviously he's the Passover lamb. I think that's like the most agreed upon and obvious typological portion from the Old Testament to the New. Um, we believe the now we eat and drink of Christ spiritually, just as there was a physical high priest on earth that did all these earthly sacrifices. But now 
Jesus as our high priest. He lives in heaven and offers spiritual sacrifices on our behalf. So we still have a high priest. The law is still fulfilled, mm-hmm. but it's spiritual. In the same way, we still eat of the Passover lamb. We still eat and drink of Christ, but it's spiritual. And we commemorate this spiritual event with a lesser physical experience. So eating and drinking of the elements of the Eucharist is not eating and drinking of the lamb. It's a remembering that we do eat and drink of the lamb spiritually. So we remember what we actually do by doing a physical thing. So the, the actual eating of the elements, is that's like going back to the old sacrifice, it's like going back to the Passover meal to try to save yourself. That's not what saves you. The eating and drinking of Jesus saves you, not the, the elements that represent him. Mm-hmm. That is worth a whole other video on its own. <laughs> was the magical bread which came down from heaven. The latter is the introduction used by Christ in his Eucharistic message found in John 6, where he ultimately says that his body is food indeed and his blood is drink indeed, not a symbol. <laughs> but we also say it's not a symbol. We, we indeed drink and eat of Christ. But we, we don't actually eat his flesh flesh. We eat of him and drink of him and i would i would be hard-pressed to find the coptic or the orthodox or the roman catholic that says we don't spiritually eat and drink of christ because of course we do and that's what these passages are about there you go i mean we we already beat it to death i think i mean mm-hmm. there's a lot like sebastian said we could do a whole sermon on this he says as well that whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day and notice, uh, I'm just going to keep beating it to death. There are many who eat and drink the communion, the Eucharist, the elements, to their damnation, as St. Paul says, right? There are those who don't, or eat it unbelieving. They don't know what it is. They eat unbelieving, or they eat knowing that they're not Christians, and it's to their detriment. So if Jesus is truly talking about whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day, and it means that the physical bread and the wine that you'll be drinking in commemoration of him, how are these that don't believe in him damned by eating and drinking of the elements shouldn't they have eternal life as christ says well no because christ is talking about a spiritual eating of his flesh and a spiritual drinking of his blood and therefore those who eat and drink the elements but they aren't actually eating and drinking of christ are commemorating nothing and they're damning themselves because they think they're saved because they're doing the symbol and they're not actually doing the real thing which is eating and drinking of him so again this text damns i think the view that says that it's the physical eating and drinking of things that saves you because clearly it's not as we all agree there are those who take communion that are not saved. <laughs> this Eucharistic meal is designed for my personal recreation and yours, that Christ may be formed in us. This concept of recreation of the human condition allows us to participate in the kingdom of God here and now. Christianity is not only about enjoying heaven in the afterlife, it is about the here and now which naturally carries on to the afterlife. Understanding this additional facet of salvation will open our minds to a new, deeper reading of Scripture and to find real healing in Christ. And lastly, we, we both agree that yes, the gospel message not only affects our salvation, but also what happens here. And you know if you watch this, uh, this podcast often that we're all about the actual applications of the law of God and the work of the gospel today in our lives because we live today. So we should be acting today. Um, we'll act in the afterlife when we're in the afterlife and in the new earth when we're in the new earth. Now, also to be fair, there is a valid criticism of some Protestant groups that are all about the rapture and mm-hmm. the end times and mm-hmm. i'm waiting for jesus to come back and no matter what happens now it doesn't matter it's what 
we're just waiting for Jesus. We don't. I, I don't hold to the rapture for the record, but I'm just saying there's groups out there that do, and it is a fair uh, criticism of that that Jesus is indeed ruling as King right now in this world mm-hmm. from His throne in heaven. He is our High Priest that died once and for all for the forgiveness of sins, and there's no further need to represent or go back to that original sacrifice that he did on the cross because he only did it once hence the whole argument from the book of hebrews and also yes you are meant to live out your faith you are we are servants of his now to build his kingdom says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand Mm -hmm. yes it is right now the psalm the psalmist does say oh i'm forgetting the chapters sit on my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool Mm -hmm. for my feet to Jesus, the Father saying that to Jesus, and He is ruling the nations now. And also, the Father says another passage in the Psalms. I'm pretty sure, I will give the, the nations as your inheritance. Mm-hmm. I should know the, the chapters, but it's also Daniel you, seven. I mean, there's lots of, of prophecies about the Messiah that all the nations would put under His feet. Yeah, and we would say that is being fulfilled right now. Everything is being put under the lordship of Jesus. Actually, no. Everything was put under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything is just being added more until the climax of the story, which we await his second coming. So that is a... Sometimes it can be an unfair criticism of all Protestants. If you go, if you go to the, the creme de la creme of Protestantism, John Calvin, Martin Luther, and... C.S. I mean, you want to throw C.S. Yeah, C.S. Lewis is not. Sorry, sorry. Charles, Charles, we'll get him out of there. Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, these are uh, creme de la creme for Protestantism. They all exhort us to live out our faith. Now, we have been justified, and as a result of our of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, and the fact that we have now permanent peace with God because of Him we can live out our faith in mm-hmm. peace. Just as much as I encourage you, fellow viewer, anyone, Orthodox or not, to read all these books from Eastern Orthodox sources or converts, I encourage you to read um, the best that uh, Protestantism has to offer from John Calvin, and then I would say Charles Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards are very good and if you want some Anglicanism, I guess, John Jewell is one I'm reading now, so very mm-hmm. well put, too. So, of course, you read Best of Orthodoxy, Losky and Timothy Ware. Read the Best of Protestantism, and you will see who is more consistent with Scripture. Yeah, and again, ultimately, judge it all off Scripture, like Sebastian just said. That's why we have found our cause. In serving the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been Michael, Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download the all for your listening pleasure, all our episodes, that is. That's audio only, though. If you want to see our beautiful faces in the face of Gabriel Wessa, you have to go to YouTube and find us there. We're also on Facebook and Spotify and iTunes and wherever else you might find your podcast. I just want to reiterate, the reason we do these responses is not just to bash on people, it's to show that the differences between the Coptic Church and true religion are real and important, and we don't want to shy away from real and important issues here on the Found Cause. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.